0: You're listening to Feminist Killjoy's PhD. It's just Rachel here today. We have a sort of unique episode that we are airing a little bit ahead of our normally scheduled episode day because this is incredibly important. It is urgent and we wanted to share it as soon as possible. I had the opportunity to sit down with a comrade uh, who is a member of Redneck Revolt. You will hear from him discussing his experience in Charlottesville, being on the ground, protecting people uh, with arms, and how incredibly important it is to support all the different kinds of tactics that are being used in what is truly one of the most important struggles of our time. Uh, In this moment when white supremacy, Nazism and other oppressive ideologies are being emboldened, how fucking important it is to show up to fight it. And I'm so grateful that this person sat down with us um, for obvious reasons. They're remaining anonymous. I hope that you will listen to the passion that this person speaks with and be open-minded in supporting people who are using armed struggle as a means of resisting this horribly awful moment in our history. Thank you for listening. Support your local Antifa. We'll be back next week. All right. So thank you so, so much for joining us and taking time uh, on a really intense day and week uh, for uh, for our whole world. But um, and and especially for the work that you're doing. So thank you again. Um, So you are a member of Redneck Revolt, and I was hoping you could just tell our listeners the mission of Redneck Revolt uh, and maybe why you felt compelled to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I think this is really important. I mean, not just for Redneck Revolt. I'm not really interested. I mean, it's a great organization right in a minute. But I mean, really, this is about mobilizing a broad spectrum of people who desire egalitarianism, equality, and justice, and getting them to take over the space that they inhabit and extend the radical love that I think is implicit in the left and mobilize that so that our horizon is an infinitely expanding one that reaches every constituency and seeps into every corner and draws people out because it's time to fucking fight. Yeah. I mean, it always has been right. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So I apologize. It's like been a really intense day. And yeah. I mean, Charlottesville was just a week ago. Uh, I joined um, Redneck Revolt. I've been an activist for many, many years and I, um, really was the non-sectarianism of redneck revolt. It was anti-capitalist, it's you know anti-homophobic and transphobic, and anti-sexist, and anti-racist. Pretty basic foundational tenets, ideas, right? That all that everybody should get behind. But beyond that, it really doesn't prescribe any particular way of organizing so that those ideas can be defended and that the people who occupy an anti-capitalist or a poor or homeless position um, who occupy any kind of economic precarity, position of economic precarity, people who occupy bodies that are trans are coded differently in the multiplicity of ways that we know is amazingly possible, that Redneck extends itself and desires to become a community organizing tool around self-defense. And you know, I, I interpreted it, many members, we interpreted it very broadly, that that's economic self-defense, that that's medical self-defense, health self-defense, psych self-defense, if you're oriented this way, spiritual self-defense, right? That it really doesn't intend in any way to proscribe or prescribe what defense looks like, right? And in that way, it's about this diversity of tactics that the left, unfortunately, has in some ways clipped its potential in some some sense, right? And we will talk about that, I assume, more just about you know, kind of pushback about using violence when confronted with violence. Um, but it really was about self-defense. And, you know, looking particularly at the way anarchists, let's say in Greece or anarchists and other activists in Europe, um, parts of Central and South America, I mean, obviously we would point to the Zapatistas. There's you know, clear, clear um, examples or models, right? Experimental models for how autonomous direct action can produce safety and a zone in which new ideas, new radical possibilities that have always been latent in us, right? That's what I think is really important. Like we've always had these potentials. It's not like we're on some grand ideological quest to produce them, right? That they're always there. You just have to find or find the space or create the, the conditions whereby they can manifest. And um, Redneck seem like a pretty awesome way for me to do that. It's also as a uh, person who you know, I'm white and male that, you know, I wanted to be able to also talk to white people and the name alone, which sometimes I'm a little uncomfortable with it's because it's, it's so class-based and I don't count myself as coming particularly from, I don't come from a working class background, although my dad does. Um, You know, it's a, it's a tricky branding issue, but it does implicitly call out white people. Yeah. And while the organization is, you know, includes people of all different um ethnic backgrounds and you know skin tones um and racial identities, it it does have in its mission an explicit task for white members and others, but white members to reach out to white people and to also encourage them to defend themselves. And of course that's where an anti-capitalist mission uh, message comes in. Um also defending yourself against police. It's not like white, poor communities, uh, you know, in the place I'm from, you know, rural rural white ghettos, they also get targeted by the cops. Like, exactly. they, they also do know. And in, in North Carolina, incarceration rates for white women are skyrocketing around the meth and opioid yeah. um, issues. So, you know, definitely these families and these individuals are also starting to not that it's new, but they're also subject to increasingly intensified state apparatus of violence and coercion incarceration. So Redneck is trying to intervene there. And, you know, we're small, we're an incredibly small organization. We have national branches all over, but chapters tend to be pretty, pretty small.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: We advocate armed self-defense. We do trainings for people to do that. But we also, I mean, in our chapter, we have a food outreach program. We just did a, a really free market which is a Mm -hmm. you know the basic old model of giving away for free so trying to also produce other spaces where community members could come and get together and those networks and that kind of sociality is self-defense right Um, anyone who's been in a mass mobilization knows people you've never met before become your comrades right you trust. Life to them and trying to make that become more like an everyday thing is something that Redneck is definitely um, interested in doing. So, and you know, I, maybe if I can just segue right into Charlottesville, that was our goal. We were asked by um, uh, anarchist people of color to go and defend Justice Park. Mm-hmm. You know, our mission in Charlottesville was purely defensive. You know, we never moved. And I want to make this really clear, and I hope this message gets out. We never moved beyond a very fixed perimeter. We were highly disciplined. We had a clear mission, keep people safe, keep cops, keep the state and the Nazis out of the park mm-hmm. successful, partially because one, we were asked to be there. So we knew who had our back and who wanted us there. And two, we knew what was to our front, right? The state and the Nazis, right? We never mixed into the larger protest and there's been some discussion, I think, out in the internet world that, yeah, we're just wandering around with guns. I mean, we're not operators. This isn't SEAL Team 6 cosplay. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, we kept our muzzles down and we really we wanted to project the force and power that, that not only our group possesses, but what we knew was streaming behind us and through us as Antifa columns groups of Quakers, mm-hmm. March BLM folks moved, you know, queer liberation activists, yep. all these people moved through our line to go encounter directly face down white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And those white supremacists came to face us, but we were in complete concert with the people that were deploying other tactics. And that, again, is an enormous power that really can't be underestimated. I mean, it's, it's the many headed Hydra. And we, we all need to start seizing that and recognizing that we all have some kind of capacity and not everyone's going to be the, the courageous person in the same kind of modality, but that doesn't, the lack of sameness is our strength, right? The heterogeneity right. of courage is that we need to have manifested.
0: Absolutely. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about uh, any specific experiences that you had that weekend? Um, so it sounds like you had support from pretty much all of the different sort of iterations of the Antifa uh, activists that were out that day um, Mm. or how I don't know how many days you were you were there Um, Mm. so can you so was it all was it all positive and also if you want to talk and speak at all to some of the interactions you may have had with with the right with Nazis yeah
1: yeah Um, I I don't think at first it was positive and we were there at the request of a very specific group but not all groups I think ideologically were on a, on a, a similar plane Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: but after i mean within i don't know 15 minutes of deploying and we'd set up a skirmish line along the sidewalk facing west towards emancipation park a huge column well from our vantage it looked big um it was there was a lot of flags and a lot of people a big column of identity europa which is a white supremacist organization primarily composed of young white men white shirts um and khaki or black pants they marched towards us with you know, sticks, axe handles, I don't know. They had fighting weapons and big flags, big banners marking themselves. And they came down the sidewalk and when they hit the opposite sidewalk or corner across from us, they paused. I mean, it was like a palpable moment of just shock, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looked like Jaws just hit the ground. Yeah. Like really to see, i I'm really just a small group of young people. And I got to emphasize the kind of courage that, The young people that I stood shoulder to shoulder with, non-binary, queer, just, you know, men, women, I mean, amazing people that just had the kind of will and defiance to take whatever violence could be brought to bear on us and to absorb it and resist it. And it was a test. Some of these people had never been in a mass mobilization before, and no one had ever carried a fire, a deadly firearm in this kind of condition, you know. Mm -hmm in this space and that identity Europa column stumbled on itself they tripped on heels and came to a halt and after some you know arcane consultation they turned on their heels and went back the way they'd come wow. and within that minute you know I mean that's you know it's like a kind of like walls of Jericho minute you're like yeah. I didn't hear that horn but something fell right, right. right. <laughs> like you know and I think that of course, like what we knew was not only was the far right seeing us, but the left was seeing us. Like we we yeah. were having in in deploying this tactic that hasn't been seen on the streets of the United States in how, who knows how long. The Black Panthers, you know, right. maybe a few like, yeah. you know, African American, you know, armed street patrols in neighborhood specific neighborhoods. But mm-hmm. beyond that, I don't think there hasn't been armed leftists on the street of an American city operating in a way that preserves and protects human life. And that's what happened in that instance. Absolutely. Like it was a kind of historical shift, you yeah. know, in those few moments. And it persisted throughout the day. I mean, there were so many columns and marches that we'd never attempted to deflect. We allowed Nazis to march past us on the sidewalk. So we were within breathing distance. Mm-hmm. And they bathed us in slurs and invective. And we just kept our ranks and our discipline and we knew who we were and who we were and what was within us was also you know connected to what we are capable of and the competencies that we were displaying and that worked right yeah. I mean there's no other way to phrase it right, right. it was an imminently successful operation that continued to build on itself throughout the day yeah. and I think people around us also they, they clearly saw it right and yeah. that, no, and I, I and i I'm completely attentive to people who still are queasy with the fact that we were deploying arms, But I want to quickly point out that you know Virginia' state troopers were lounging on their cruisers nowhere within any kind of proximity to actually intervene rapidly or successfully should violence have broken out. right That was, and there were only five of them for right. the whole park. So you're talking maybe at any time, maybe fifty at the minimum, but hundreds of people right gathered that were completely vulnerable to a drive by to physical, you know, hand-to-hand violence, to, yeah, anything, a knife attack. And we saw what happened, right? That, you know, two blocks away from our perimeter, that murderer struck and killed Heather Heyer. And Mm -hmm. he went down right in front of our position. You know, I can only imagine, right, that the fact that there were armed people that were radically dedicated to supporting the the other activists, the other anti-fascists around us, prevented him, he was... I imagine prowling for soft targets, and yeah. unfortunately, he found one. Right. And that—that was out of you know we're small scale, and our objective was this one discreet space. Right. You know, and the police, right? The police again—they abdicated space, and we were left exposed. So when the state is not there, why would you trust the state right. anyway? Right? Like the state is never going to save you.
0: Yep. Right. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Wow. Uh That's. I just thank you so much for, I mean, what you're doing in that story. I, I'm, I'm so, it's so hard for me to want to push you to explain more why strategic violent self-defense is important. I I still feel like people will have questions and some, sometimes I just feel like it's um, just a willful, willful ignorance of how historical, change has happened. I mean, I don't think most, I don't think most white people know who John Brown is. I don't think, um, yeah. you know, I don't think that people connect the dots of the role that, um, militant defense has played in anything good ever, <laughs> you yeah. know, historically, um, in terms of mass, mass movement, uh, social change. So I, I don't even really, I think you I think you've just explained it so well. It's self-defense. It's, it works. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I hope that resonates with listeners who are skeptical. I, I wonder if you could speak to another thing that I think comes up, which is that this ridiculous notion that, um, the Nazis should be able to enact their rights of free speech. Could you speak to that?
1: So I want to actually just follow up just really briefly with the, you know, use of armed self-defense. You know, I think that it's incumbent particularly on white people and white people who might consider themselves progressives or even liberals who might have some kind of sympathy or um, affinity even with say the Zapatistas or Mm -hmm. may look fondly back upon anti-colonial struggles. Like, Mm don't know. Did you support Nelson Mandela? Because if you did, you supported armed resistance like the ANC. And and, and if you're going to pay attention to that, please go read about the Rhodesian Bush Wars. Go Mm -hmm. read about, you know, white American Marines coming out of Vietnam and deciding they wanted to be mercenaries for white power and going to join, you know, basically rogue South African military units and white Rhodesians Mm -hmm. in trying to crush, right, black African militancy. I mean, and that's just one small historical example. If you've ever supported an anti-colonial struggle, any resistance of people of color against oppression, imperial, imperial oppression, corporate oppression, right? Activists who've been murdered by, say, Shell in Nigeria. If you ever supported those struggles, then yes, they may be ideologically, tenuous or problematic. Right. And I'm in no way advocating for like, you know, some kind of Maoist or Stalinist or oh, heaven forbid, like a, a kind of Soviet vanguardist. I'm, and that's, that's the thing I want to say is like, there's no, in our posture, we really, we insist on paying such close attention to ourselves so that we do not fall into some kind of grand ideological solution. Mm-hmm. What we're doing, what we did in Charlottesville is not a solution it's not, right? Mm-hmm. It's a tactic, yep. right? It's not the yep. goal. And that's like, you know, we, we are responsible to the people and the people need to come to us and critique us, but also ask us what they want to do in their own self-defense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like that's it. We want to meet people where they are and we want those people to become us and we are them, right? Right. Out without, without diminishing, right, the distinctions between all the different identities and groups that come together. And, you know, we're not trying to homogenize anyone nor mm-hmm. insist on anyone. Sign up for our grand plan. Mm. So much as we are also not about grand sweep of ideology, we're also not about some macho bullshit ego. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah. We were extremely cautious and extremely disciplined, and we were so aware of what any any um, slip on our part in regards to the way that we comported ourselves on the on that day on the streets of Charlottesville, how that would resonate. I mean, the damage that would be done if we had flippantly raised a rifle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We had brandished or in some way met, made people, as in the Nazis, feel intimidated. But even with the Nazis, we never did, right? right? I mean, we had very clear protocol, trigger fingers, trigger hands, off the pistol grips of our AR-15 rifles and on the stock, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Far away, right? I mean, that, and, and I can't stress that you know these small gestures of the body communicate so much they communicate to the left they communicate to the far right the very fact that we're there putting our bodies out there on the streets that sends a huge signal and we're not passive right we, we insist on our capacity to enact self-defense or defense for the, for the people we love
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah so to, to, sorry to finally no land, thank
0: you thank here. you for <laughs> that yeah, um, yeah.
1: So i want to say you know people should go read the go read yes. um that this nonviolent stuff will get you killed. Great, amazing book about how weapons provided a a militant armed self-defense backbone to the civil rights movement, right? That it sweeps away the whitewash narrative of Martin Luther King and describes an entire interior world of African-American and allied folks willingness and sometimes actual use of firearms to preserve the sanctity and lives of the people dedicated to that struggle right. so i think just read up on your history it's not as clean cut as as we may have been taught some of us more than others right absolutely um, right and in terms of free speech it's like well the i mean you just go read it it's free speech is the first amendment is there to protect citizens against their government Right. Not against other citizens. Right. I mean, for me, that's like that. That ends. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I grew up fighting Nazi skinheads like you come into a space and you expect to fascistically control and dominate, subjugate and injure other people. You're speaking through your fists. I mean, they first they seek Heil. So they're signaling that that's speech. Right. They're using symbolic gestures. To try to take up the or dominate the symbolic landscape, and then they're gonna take up the physical landscape, right? Of whatever it is, like a community meeting, a hardcore show, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And we fight back. I mean, I fought I fight back. Like I have no, however I'm built, right? Like whatever my if you're coming at someone to inflict violence on them, I'm coming at you. Like, you know? And whatever your rights around even saying or delivering, and I know I I really don't like the term hate speech because it's just like it just puts in the realm of feelings, right? Like, I hate a lot of things. Like, right. <laughs> I'm not really fond of country. I won't say I hate it, but um, I don't eat meat, so I'd say I hate meat. Right. There's things like that that are, like, things that I'm not really keen on. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not hate speech, right? right? This is incitement to murder or genocide, to violently extinguishing the lives and cultures of people that are different than that the person who is articulating that speech. So I'm like... All right, whatever. And moreover, what I've been saying is, that for Charlottesville, Nazis don't show up physically in space to talk to each other. Right. They don't. Right. White supremacy is broadcast on the airwaves of, of America and through the Internet, through fiber optic cable every damn day. We get that shit every day. Right. They don't need to stand up on a podium <laughs> and deliver. I mean, maybe it's a little bit louder and right. maybe a little bit more, I was gonna say cogent, but that's not really, it's yeah. more stripped down, right? It's right. more distilled. Right. The smoke has come off, the veneer's been peeled off, right? It's like straight up, you can hear what they're saying. I mean, if you watch the Vice piece on Charlottesville where yeah. they interview Cantwell and these other people, and I'm no big proponent of Vice, but it's awesome they got those people on camera. Yeah. Yeah. So everyday people can hear like, yeah, but you know what? You're imbibing that stuff through everyday discourse in racist America and white supremacist America. Yep. And that's what that Confederate statue represents in Durham as well. Yep. Like that's symbolically taking up space. That Confederate statue is Sieg Hailing every day. Yep. Right. Yeah. So we live in a world where that kind of speech has been not only protected, it's been put on a pedestal quite literally, figuratively. Right. right? <laughs> right. So it's there. So when Nazis show up and assemble like they did in Charlottesville, Hell yeah, we're coming at them because they ain't there to talk. They're there to, like, smash the city up. And I want to say, every leftist organization and mobilization, the riot police, typically their tactic is to show up, kettle, control, domesticate, tranquilize, zip tie you, put you on a bus, and put you in a stadium. Yeah. Did anybody see anything akin to that kind of tactical police activity on A-12? No. No. Not a one. A big blacked out bus rolled down our southern perimeter. And people on our side were like, they're coming. I'm like, that ain't it for us. That's riot police. They're about to go deploy over there, and they're going to push those motherfuckers out of the park. They gassed them, and they pushed them out of the park. They dispersed them into the city. Completely contrary to every other kind of police tactic I've ever seen, they literally unleashed gangs of white supremacists, mobs, on the city of Charlottesville. I mean, in my mind, it's unconscionable. So the murder of Heather Heyer is in my mind, directly correlated to the fact that the police completely reversed every other kind of tactical decision that they've made since 1999 on the streets of Seattle. Yeah. They have militarized forces. They're more than capable of of controlling a two-front struggle, which, granted, it's a little chaotic. and They're not just fighting leftists, right? They've got, like, two sides. It's a three-front war, basically. Yeah. And, you know, the excuses from Governor Terry McAuliffe, well, they're so heavily armed, and, well, yeah, I mean— you know, like, right. you're heavily on too. I thought that right. was the Y'all wanted to be about it with your Iraq surplus gear. Right. Well, here you go. Right. Like, you yep. know, in videos that I've seen of white supremacists brandishing, waving handguns, I mean, you know, things that in in gun culture you would never do. Like, yeah. it's just for safety. Like, flagging, which is when the muzzle sweeps over people, anybody who might actually be hurt. Mm-hmm. Flagging not only protesters, but actually police, who you can see off out of the frame of the, the video camera. I'm like... Everything we already know. If that was an African American right. man, if it was a, a Laotian or a Cambodian or a Hmong refugee dude. Mm-hmm. Like that was a young Latina. No, right. they'd be dropped. They'd yep. be dropped so fast. Yep. And this man is actually, you know, threatening. I mean, or there's the potential for a negligent discharge, and a police officer gonna killed. You were afraid. Those police would claim, oh, well, we're outgunned, and we we didn't want to get into it. I'm like, well, yeah, you're you're kind of cowardly. That we know that, yeah. but also you also have this ideological connection. And not Absolutely. every one, but there's two things going on here, right? Like the state is more than willing to unleash those forces of violence against the left and let them be the Freikorps, right? Let them be the shock troops of the state to again, try to batter and bruise anti-fascist action. All of the all of the things like Orrin Hatch, Mitt Romney, you know, people being like Comrade Romney or whatever. I mean, it's hilarious, like they're lining up now, but as we all well know, right? That Republican, you know, overt Republican party narratives have completely been letting, laying the ground for exactly this kind of action. Right. Right. They Absolutely. Are so cops and clan go hand in hand, this old saying, yep. and I also really want to reiterate, right. Redneck's position and mine as a personal, you know, very personal position, it's anti-fascism in all of its forms, and I see the state as being a complete and direct locus of the kind of fascism that then grows into paramilitary or para-government or parasocial anti-fascism that can be enacted quite conveniently through the operation of the Klan, which is a quite old technique, right? Mm-hmm. Sheriff by day, night rider by night, mm-hmm. or you know, just unleashing these other forces that have been economically and socially created but in some ways quite strategically and i'm not a conspiracy theorist i'm not arguing that this was like you know well-thought well-oiled Bannonite plan right but that the long arc right the long durée of this this project that fascism has been within and been inculcating is showing itself i'm not saying successful but we're definitely experiencing it
0: absolutely absolutely um what can folks who are not comfortable taking up arms due to support uh militant antifa tactics and um yeah I'll stop there. What what can yeah. what can we do to support if if we're not picking well, up well I mean
1: there's things that people need. Like and I'm gonna be straight up. People need radios for communications mm-hmm. because that's really lacking. I mean I'm just thinking about straight up like just think about as this is like a disaster. Yeah. right? If we use like Naomi Kleins like you know, disaster capitalism mm-hmm. and the shock doctrine, like, you know, I'm not a fan of everything, but as a shorthand, those terms are awesome. Just yeah. think about this as like a crisis. So mm-hmm. people, groups need radios. I think everybody should get these radios They're Baofeng UV five R radios. You can buy them at Amazon. They're shortwave. You need an FCC license, but it's fairly easy to get, and you can dial them down and actually use them as walkie-talkies for short range. So Mm -hmm. please, get radios, and everybody get that kind so we can all talk to each other. I mean, it's open channel. It's not encrypted. We're not trying to hide anything. This is simply so you can talk to your people, and you should just have them for an emergency. Um, More real specific things is, you know, people need body armor. Mm -hmm. Stuff's not cheap, but – you know, you see police put that on a suspect that's going like Dylan Roof, for example, going into a courthouse. Well, we have people who are getting arrested, too, or we have speakers who are extremely vulnerable. Any prominent, especially person of color, like a BLM organizer, um, an academic, right? They, mm-hmm. they, anyone like that is liable to be a target. And I don't want to be a doomsayer, right? I, but I also want to be really proactive. Like, yeah. why yeah. wouldn't we be? And so please give money or, you know, go research it. If you have that kind of inclination and knowledge to make smart decisions and offer to provide that stuff. I mean, it should be a community resource. Like it should be in a tool library and, you know, to answer or to speak to your very first thing, if they're not comfortable picking up arms. I'm like, well, you've picked up a knife before, right? You've picked up an arm. Yeah. Have you used Mm -hmm. a circular saw? Well, it's pretty close to an arm. (laughs) Like you have like an arm on your body, right? A weapon. Right. right. Like we use dangerous objects all the time. And, I am a firm believer in wanting to know how things work. So even if you are not comfortable deploying it, I really, str- really strongly recommend that everyone learn how to handle and disable. Right, operative word here, yeah. disable a yeah. firearm. If if a militia member drops a gun in a scuffle and you're near it, you want to have the ability, just like if you knew CPR and someone is having trouble breathing, you want to be able to safely carefully and confidently disable that weapon so it's not a hazard to someone right it's like being a snake handler you know like they're not fun things to handle like i'm not a fetishist and that's something i want to emphasize about redneck broadly right there's not no gun fetish there like it's a tool it's a tool like many others and you become proficient in a lot of different tools when you're struggling against death (laughs) in many forms so why not just please i encourage everyone implore you go out and learn if a cop loses a handgun in a scuffle you be the person that can drop that magazine and clear the chamber and lock the slide back so everybody can see that it's a clear safe empty gun you put that mag in your pocket and you put the gun in someone else's bag right boom problem solved like that gun can hurt no one and nor can anyone in your proximity put your the magazine in your pocket together with that person who's moved 50 yards away with the gun right? You've just neutralized that weapon. That's awesome. Everybody should have that capability, right? Just as much as if someone Nazi had lost an axe handle, you pick it up and throw it to the back or you start, you decide you need to use it, right? Mm -hmm. So so to come back to the broader thing about what people can do, I mean, symbolic action and marches are great because they build solidarity among like-minded people, but they generally, Mm -hmm. as we have seen from protests against the Iraq war, I mean, just wherever just let your imagination wander around like they really don't pose a threat to anybody like they don't really make change so and i don't have a solution here like you can seize space you can make temporary autonomous zones i mean that's what we did with justice park it was definitely a a temporary autonomous zone but that's not going to hold we don't have the numbers or endurance or the larger social consensus and i'm totally fine with that but we do need new tactics and i don't know whether that's you know, people going to their congregations, if they're, you know, in, in a synagogue or a mosque or a church. I mean, I want people to build be building underground railroads or overground yeah. railroads for that matter. Right. Like right, people right. need to know that their sanctuary and the sanctuary is linked. People need logistics and there's smart people out there. IT security. Oh, Lord, let's talk about that because yeah, yeah. people have their shit wide open. <laughs> so please, like, just be prudent. Like this isn't about paranoia or I don't have anything to hide. Well, that's great. But a lot of people don't. They they are interested in who you are, right? Yeah, yeah. So please, if you have IT skills, offer them up and start getting people educated. Get your friends educated. And then, you know, I'm just like very practical. I'm like number your stuff. If you think that any reason the feds might come down on you, make sure you know where your stuff is and what they took or what they didn't take. Like just have like a real cl- like clarity of like the world that you live in. And in no way am I trying to incite paranoia it's none of that right this is just like really basic stuff that people other people in other parts of the world deal with on the regular it's just that we've been fortunate enough to be insulated from it and for liberals who are afraid of guns i'm like you're not really you know Mm -hmm. you've offshored it and been insulated from violence because you pay union workers let's remember this union workers to holster a weapon and then deploy it at set times that have been you know previously agreed on and a lot of people who do shoot end up walking as we know officers who murder and then walk so the law isn't really working and people are using guns cops are using guns and if you're a progressive or liberal that is anti-gun you're not yeah unless you are a strict abolitionist right you are complicit in gun culture absolutely right at the highest levels
0: right absolutely
1: hillary clinton voted for the iraq war she loves guns yeah. oh no she probably does them in her house but she has the help to do that, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And I want to be really abundantly clear and that you know what Redneck Revolt does is from the people for the people. Like we're coming from the streets and we're on the streets. So there's no offshoring risk here. We are taking the risk just like every other person who was out that day. Right? Everybody was a target. We mm-hmm. all knew that. Everybody's life was on the goddamn fucking line and Heather laid her life down and she's not a martyr, right? right. She's the promise of the world That can be built the new world that can be built in the shell of the old right don't mourn the martyrs right don't mourn the dead at this point like like fight for the living you know like that grief and vigiling up for her and moaning about first amendment you know contention is not going to solve the problem that we're in
0: absolutely absolutely I thank you so so much for what you are doing and the risks that you are taking, and uh, for taking time to say so passionately and clearly the importance of this kind of tactic. And I'm just so grateful for your role in the left, in this struggle. And um, if there's anything else you want to say, I'll, I know you. I want to be respectful of your time, um, but if unless you have any last words, just thank you so much, and I'll just. Be you know, sending you so much solidarity and so much good energy. And um I'm just really grateful.
1: Thank you so much, Rachel. And you know, the the third line that my three year old has is stand up and fight back.
0: I love So it. yeah. That's it. Stand Absolutely. up and fight back. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Show these what a couple of can do. Tell you fascists, you may be surprised People in this world are
1: getting organized You're bound to lose, you fascists bound to lose
0: If I just died, you were bound to lose.